Well, it's going to, uh, the, the big sermon was this morning, this, uh, this evening is a, a meditation. Please can you turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I just want to uh, um, bat about this uh, thought that's in this uh, text here, 1 Corinthians 15, which was read to us this morning, uh, and verse 1, now brothers, I want to remind you of, so he uses the same word twice, once as a verb and once as a noun, of the gospel I gospeled you, so the good news that I good newsed you with. The good news I I told you, as it says, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain, and he's going to go through the, the 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 vanity side of it, the useless side of it later on. And Ben's going to look at that in the following week. Uh, but he says this is the thing about uh, Christianity: it's a message which saves us. It saves us if we receive it and hold on to it uh, and believe it. That's, that's not quite the same thing as um, being part of a Christian culture. It's not quite the same thing as, as, as liking the people in the church or enjoying the singing. What it's saying is a message that you've got and you've received it and you are standing on it and continuing to stand on it. It says otherwise you have believed in vain. So whatever it is that you believe, it, it doesn't help you. So now he's going to, he's not going to say everything that the Christian message contains, um, but he's going to say, say if you boil it right down, these are uh, the basic components of it. And he says, I didn't make it up, I received it. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So he says, this is of first importance. There isn't anything more important than this. This is, this is the basic, fundamental, non-negotiable. You've got to have this bit. It's of first importance. And he, he puts it this way. Uh, that. So he uses the that word uh, um, three times, I think. Meaning to say this is a statement. Uh, that you believe this. That. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and the twelve and then he goes on to talk about the list of people who'd seen Jesus but that, uh, the important things he's, he's now said so these things, that, you see, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day 
according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Peter and then and so on and so on. So this is the message, he says, that is key and fundamental and everything else sort of rests on this or spins off this or fits in with this. Uh, and uh, I, I remember once a long time ago asking somebody, what sort of message is this? How, how do we describe this? And the answer came, number one, it's a piece of history. It's saying an event happened. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. He was raised on the third day. So it's a piece of history. Uh, Christianity is a historical religion. It's not like um, a philosophy where, you, where it says, you know, something like what goes around comes around or... Um, uh, I don't know, I can't think of the top of my head some philosophical thing, do good to other people and they'll do good to you or something like that, which is just a timeless uh, piece of advice or a timeless insight for better or for worse. But this is history. Saying something happened at a point in history. Christ died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. So it's history. And it's history plus interpretation. What does this mean? What is significant about this person dying and being buried and rising again? So, first of all, the first interpretation, he died for our sins. That's an interpretation. You, you, you wouldn't know that just by looking at the cross. It's, it's an interpretation that somebody gives you. See what's happening there? Let me explain that. He is dying for our sins an interpretation uh, and how do we know that, that is the correct interpretation uh, the basis for the interpretation is according to the scriptures so what is the Christian message it's not just a piece of moral advice or a piece of philosophy it's history with an interpretation and an interpretation that is based in the Bible and of course you could go on from there because that that's just the very basic minimum, but there's lots of other things that fit in on around that. And there's an invitation, which is implied here, uh, but the invitation is to believe it. Uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, and Paul says, let me remind you, this is the Gospel. This is the news I brought to you and if you have that, you are saved. And if you don't have that, you can't be saved. And if you had it once but have forgotten it, then um, I'll tell you what, in case it's that. If you had it once and you've forgotten it, you can't be saved. So you've got to hang on to it. Hmm. But what I'd like us to just to scratch a little bit on is this according to the scriptures. So which scriptures uh, are we talking about? According to the scriptures. Now just cast your minds back to the disciples and the way that Jesus spoke to them and taught them, the way they reacted and responded. Uh, they would have uh, known the scriptures 
uh, as children. They would have been brought up in the synagogue. They would have known the scriptures in the sense that uh, perhaps they'd memorized them, familiar with uh, the words, but clearly they did not understand the references to the death and resurrection of Jesus because they were completely taken by surprise by that. Well, they didn't understand how that event and the scriptures related to each other. Where does it say about, where does it say Christ will be raised on the third day? Where does it say that? Peter and John would have said, where, where does it say that? Uh, and, um, well, here's the text. Uh, please can we look at uh, John 20, for example. And this is uh, John 20, verse 3, where on the morning of resurrection, all sorts of things happened. It's a bit of a jumble who saw what when, and that sort of comes across in the different accounts. But in this account, we're told uh, that Peter and the other disciple, who we presume is John, uh, go out to, to check what's happened at the tomb, John 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. Interesting detail, isn't it? wonder how old they were and how out of puff they were when they got there. Just looking at Mark and Christopher here who went running. Um, anyway, so the, the, these guys run uh, and John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. But it, as, as you understand, it's a, a, a cave tomb. So it's not, a, not like holding the ground, it's a cave tomb. So he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who comes puffing up behind him, he doesn't hesitate, seems to be characteristic of Peter. He arrives and he goes into the tomb. And he sees the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen, which is surprising and significant, because if somebody had pinched the body of Jesus, they would have taken that, all that stuff there with them. If somebody was uh, robbing for goods, they would have taken that stuff with them, but it's just left as if Jesus' body just disappeared from there and all that was left was the strips of linen in their place. Not what it seems to be. Um, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. So, so he believes the event, but notice what it says next but they still didn't understand from Scripture that Christ had to rise from the dead. So the, they hadn't got the according to the Scripture bit. They saw the, the bare fact, but they hadn't linked it up with the rest of Scripture. Uh, and that is significant too in Luke 24.
Now this is the, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, walking along. Um, one of them whose name was Cleopas, we're told. I remember hearing Alec Matea talk about this and say it's pretty obvious that the person with Cleopas was Mrs. Cleopas. He says, I don't know, doesn't say that, does it? But um, They're walking along. They've been discussing with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. That's in verse 15, Luke 24, verse 15. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Which shows Jesus didn't always ask questions because he didn't know the answer. He asked questions to get a conversation going sometimes. Uh, Luke 24, verse 17. What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and don't know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, What things would those be then? And they say, Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then, says Jesus to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So that very uh, remarkable Bible study on the hoof that Jesus uh, conducted with these people. I presume it's on the hoof, isn't it? As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. There's a song based on that, isn't there? Abide with me, fast falls the evening tide. That's what that song is about, isn't it? Uh, Jesus saying, I'm, I'm off that way, but they said, no, please stay. I think that's what we do in our prayer times, isn't it? When we, when we pray on a Sunday, Lord, please come and stay with us. I know you could be elsewhere, but please come and be with us. Uh, abide with us. Um, stay with us, it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them, and while he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us on the ro- uh, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So that, that uh, remarkable experience of uh, the risen Christ opening the scriptures and saying, look, I'm here and here, 
and here and that's about me and that's about me and that's about me and this shows how I needed to suffer and how I would be glorified and this shows how I needed to suffer and how I would be glorified and this shows that as well and it's here in all, all over the place Moses and all the prophets that would have been quite a Bible study wouldn't it this is, didn't our hearts burn within us uh, and uh, whoops um, it's very interesting that Jesus didn't directly reveal himself to them. He did so via opening the scriptures. And that's, uh, that's the model for us, isn't it? We meet Jesus Christ. We don't just come and sit and wait for Jesus to sort of zap us. We come and we open scripture in one shape or form or another. And sometimes we have that experience, don't we? Don't our hearts burn within us as he opens the scriptures to us and we see something of the risen Lord through the word? So um, the, the scriptures speaking of his death and his resurrection, it's so important. So I thought we would just look at a few examples and then we'll finish because we've got communion coming up. If we turn to the book of Acts, I thought it would be um, stimulating and helpful to, to just look at a few examples of how the first preachers said, this is according to the scriptures. So in Acts 2, which we read, Peter says, this is according to the scriptures. And he says it in verse in Acts chapter twenty Acts chapter two verse twenty five. So he's 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 referencing the fact that this Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and he pins it on the Jerusalem crowd but they crucified him doesn't pin it on on people in other places he pins it on particularly on them and uh, he says you put him to death but Acts 2.24 God raised him raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for God to keep its hold on him David says and that's the quote so some of you are ahead of me on that do you know where it's a quote from? Oh, you're so good. Yes, it's Psalm 16. Shall we, we put a finger in Acts 2 and a finger in Psalm 16? Let's have a look. Psalm 16 is a miktam of David and I don't know what a miktam is it's something Psalm 16 he says this keep me safe O God for in you I take refuge I said to the Lord you are my Lord apart from you I have no good thing as for the saints who are in the land they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight the sorrow of those will increase who run after other gods I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names on my lips. 
Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Because I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So I suppose you can see the point there, that if you just read this, you would, you would not immediately think that this is the resurrection of Christ according to the Scriptures. Uh, you would think that David is saying, well, it is David, but you would think he's saying, um, you'll keep me safe, and verse 10, you won't abandon me to the grave or let your Holy One see decay. I mean, what, you'd be a bit puzzled, would you? you think that's quite a strong statement. Is he saying that, uh, that when the assassins get me, uh, try to get me, they won't actually succeed? Now, you see what Peter does. He says... Now, um, it can't actually be true of David because he did die in the end and he was buried and he did decay. And this psalm goes further than David. It goes to David's son, the Holy One. And if it is to be taken in that full sense, that's the resurrection. That's somebody who does not decay. So I suppose I, I gather from that that um, this, if we want to talk about the resurrection, if we want to learn about the resurrection, Psalms is a good place to go. Because the Psalms are actually speaking about all of this. Um, let's look at a, a, another example. Whoops, I'm getting ahead of myself. So we go back to Acts chapter 2. Now, one thing is pretty clear that Peter can't, in his mind or in his preaching, separate the resurrection from the things that go with it. So Jesus is not simply resurrected and walking around on earth in a new body. There's more to it than that. He does walk around for 40 days. He teaches his followers all the, the stuff about the references to the scriptures and what it all means. That's what we have in the New Testament. Uh, but he is exalted. He goes into heaven. And uh, Peter wants to talk about that. He sees, uh, talks about the resurrection. God, uh, Verse 32, God raises Jesus to life. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what we now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he says... The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Do you know where that's a quote from? It is 110. Yeah, that's Psalm 110. Um, shall we read that? Look at that.
Psalm 110 is a, a key psalm because it's quoted on a number of occasions and the uh, writer to the Hebrews quotes the second part of this as being a key component of his argument. Psalm 110, Again, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way, therefore he will lift up his head. It's a very unusual psalm, um, rather enigmatic, I think. But uh, Peter says, well, that psalm's about Jesus. Uh, This business of his being raised and exalted and seated at the right hand of God, that's what this psalm is about. So again, it tells us that Psalms is the place that tells us about Christ and his resurrection. And uh, what Peter's doing is saying, uh, what's going on here? These events are the things in, these, in, this, in the Old Testament here that I'm telling you about. He's quoted from Joel. He quotes from Psalm 16. He quotes from Psalm 110. Let's just look at one more and then uh, I'll sit down. Let's look in Acts chapter 3. I mean Acts chapter 3 verse 26 yeah so this is the this is uh, Peter preaching on the matter of uh, this is the the person who's um, asking for silver and gold isn't it and Peter says in verse 6 chapter 3 Acts 3 verse 6 silver and gold have I none but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he's called to account for this. Uh, it's, um, verse 12, uh, that when Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? So he preaches another sermon. And at the end of this sermon, he talks about the resurrection. In verse 26, he says, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So this is God raising up his servant. Um, Anybody like to suggest where the scriptures talk about the raised up servant? Isaiah. Yep, which uh, chapter? I'm sorry? What, what? It is around there. It's towards the end of that bit. It says, my servant will be raised up and highly exalted. Do you remember that bit? 
So Isaiah, it's end of 52 or beginning of 53. Um, <clears throat> 52 verse 13. Somebody read us uh, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Hmm. Yeah. So the, the the servant who's raised up, God raised up His servant to to bless you. I suppose what I'm saying is that uh, when you start to see this. I mean, it's instinctive for Christians, I suppose, but uh, for those first-generation people, they had to have it pointed out to them. Uh, it's all over the Bible that uh, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Uh, all sorts of Scriptures find their fulfillment in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, there we are. And just to point out that Peter doesn't make these just for a point of information. So in Acts 2, he makes it a, a point of invitation, doesn't he? He says, this is, this is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what this is talking about. Therefore, um, you need to be saved. That's what he says, isn't it? What should, brothers, what shall we do? Um, they're cut to the heart, and uh, he says... Quote him exactly. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So it's a, it's a, a, a point with a point. This being the case, uh, repent and be baptized. And in that uh, chapter 3, it's got a point too. It, he says uh, the resurrection... God raised up his servant and sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to many, many scriptures. I'm going to stop there and we're going to sing 293. I had other verses, but we'll...